Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to each of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Open up a Bible to page 846 in your pew Bible, looking at Mark chapter 10 and this interaction of Jesus with this young man. We're going to walk through this uh, text together and uh, think about this complex interaction that's going on. Uh, between Jesus and this young man and how he perceives uh, the young man's heart. In verse 17, it says, as, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So right away we see uh, this man eager to know who Jesus is, eager, eager to get in front of him, And he even kneels down in front of him, which is a sign of reverence, right? He's acknowledging Jesus is an important person. And Jesus, right off the bat, challenges him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why would you call me good? That's weird. It's weird that you would call me good because in the Jewish culture especially, you would never call another human good. It would be very rare to call another human being good. This was something, an expression reserved for God. And so this is what Jesus replies to him. He says, no one is good except for God alone. And you can almost imagine that Jesus has a bit of a wink when he says this to the man, kind of knowing what's going to go down next. But he, he continues with him. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not defraud and honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So I want you to notice a few things about this next interaction between the man and Jesus. First of all, uh, the man doesn't quite pick up on who Jesus is yet. Second, he, Jesus gives him the law to do. You know how to be saved, he says. You know what to do. Do the law. And he gives only the second table of the law, right? So if you remember all the way back to uh, catechism, we have the first table of the law, which is uh, have one God alone, keep his name holy, and honor the Sabbath day, right? So there's three commands that go with God and our relationship with God, and then four through ten have to do with our relationship with each other. Honor your father and your mother, and do not kill, do not commit adultery. And so Jesus only refers the man to which table? The second table. He refers him to how this man is interacting with his neighbors. And so the man looks at this list, he says, you know what? Check. I didn't kill anyone. Check, I haven't committed adultery. Check, I don't think I stole anything. Check, I've always honored my mother and my father. Uh, Check, I haven't defrauded anyone. He says, yes, Lord, I have done all of these things. What else you got? Uh, And look at the next verse very carefully. 
In verse 21, it says this, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, I want you to look at these words. First of all, this looking is more than just uh, seeing with the eyes. Okay, so it'd be like the word might be better translated as perceiving. So it's like the difference between glancing at something and studying it, or the difference at seeing someone across the room and seeing your wife across the room. It's a look of intimacy. It's a look of perceiving that other person and understanding them. And so it almost has the connotation of like, a caress or something like that. It's like Jesus is like holding this man in his hands and seeing right into his soul. That's the kind of looking we're talking about here. So Jesus looks intently at him uh, and he loves him. Now again, this word love is a particular word uh, in Greek. It's the word for agape. It's the word for godly love. It's the word reserved for the long-suffering love of God for his people Israel, where he, uh, year after year, generation after generation, had this long-suffering mercy for them. It's the kind of love that you look at someone and you love them for what they are. And no matter what you get out of it, you love them and you're intent on helping them no matter what the cost is. It's a divine love. And so Jesus looks deeply into this man, into his heart, and he genuinely loves him. And look what he does to him. He says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And is this good news for the man? What happens to the man? It says he's disheartened by the saying And he goes away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery in this interaction between Jesus and this man. And I want you to think about it. Sometimes, apparently, deep, longing, agape love looks like breaking someone's heart. Did you catch it? Sometimes the most loving and intimate thing for God to do for us is to look deeply into our hearts and drive us to despair. It's not intuitive for us, possibly. We, we might think that uh, no matter what, God's going to make me feel good. God's going to be like kind of the, the icing on top, right? He's always going to taste sweet. But here we have Jesus with genuine heartfelt love driving this man to despair, disheartening him so that he turns around saddened. That's what love looks like sometimes. So what is Jesus doing? He sees this man's heart. And he sees that there's an idol that has taken the place of God in this man's heart. And you can actually hear the idol speak. It says, what must I do? Or it says, I have done all of these things. In fact, it's the idol of pride. 
It's the idol of self-efficacy. It's the idol before God saying, I can do it, and I have done it. And Jesus sees this idol. And in this man's idolatry, uh, he fails to see the vast wealth of the one who's standing before him. That's why Jesus says, sell all your stuff and come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. But the man doesn't understand that the one that he is kneeling before is the same one who gave him the skills, the body, the talent, the intellect to do all of the things that he's doing. He doesn't understand that he's kneeling before the creator of the heavens and the earth, that the one who owns the heavens and the earth is standing in front of him. He doesn't understand that the one who he is supposed to love with all his heart, mind, and strength, the only one who could give him forgiveness and life eternal, is the one standing in front of him. So he prefers his riches. He prefers the fruit of his efforts. He prefers his abilities compared to this Jesus. And so if he had to choose Jesus or the money, the wealth he had acquired as a young man, um, the idol in his heart dictates that he must choose his own strength and his own wealth. And so this is why Jesus holds his face in his hands, looks at him, and drives his heart to despair. Because by any means necessary, Jesus must dethrone that idol. He must do heart surgery on this young man so that he might have him for eternal life. Unless this man despairs of his own abilities and despairs of what his hands have done, he will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so love in this instance looks like this man walking away sad and disheartened and distraught. And look how Jesus explains this uh, to his disciples. In verse 23, it says this, And Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his, wealth, at his words. But Jesus said again to them, Now look carefully, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to remember, last week, we, we heard this sermon about children. That Jesus says, you must become like one of these little children to enter the kingdom of God. And here, Jesus brings up that same word for the same reason. It's not an accident. Jesus looks around at his disciples and he says, Children, it's impossible, it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God for a rich person. Well, why is it particularly difficult for a rich person? Rich people are not like children. <laughs> they're not weak, they're not powerless, they're not dependent. At least they don't think so. They have ability, they have strength, they have power to accomplish their purposes. So they're not used to having to have someone do something for them. And actually, you can be wealthy in a lot of different ways, can't you? You can be wealthy in your intellect. And you're not used to having to ask for help 
for something. You can be wealthy in your body and you're not used to having to have to go to the doctor or to have to get help with medicine for your body. And so you can have all of these things that prevent you from seeing yourself as someone who needs anything. And so in particular, for those who have a lot of wealth, for, who have riches, they don't think they need anything from God, right? They're self-sufficient. They have everything that they could need or want, or so they think, and so it prevents them from taking the true posture of a child and being cared for, being thrust upon the mercy of God himself. And so they keep their distance. But look what the disciples say next. They're exceedingly astonished at these sayings. And in verse 26, it says this, they said to him, then who can be saved? Can anyone be saved at all? And Jesus again looks at them and says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, this is a crucial teaching of Jesus, and one that we must continually insist that everyone in our congregation knows all the time. The man comes up to Jesus and he says, What must I do? The man comes up to Jesus and says, Look at all that I have done. The fundamental error in this man's heart is not that he was rich. The fundamental error in this man's heart is he thinks he is the primary actor in his own salvation. And Jesus completely puts that out of the question. He says, with man, according to you, according to me, according to humans, entering the kingdom of God is, what's the word? Impossible. Does everyone catch it? Impossible. Not a chance. Zero percent success rate. Why do we have to keep this at our forefront of our minds? Because most people, uh, if they're not a believer in Christ, if they're not giving all credit to Jesus, they'll say something like this, but I'm trying to be a pretty good person. Or we are much more concerned about someone in our lives uh, who falls into some terrible moral category, right? They've fallen into a life of drugs, Uh, they've gone to prison for something terrible that they've done. Uh, They have become an abuser of some kind. We're much more concerned about those kinds of people rather than people who are morally upright but really have no need for Jesus. We naturally think this way. Oh, that person has a good heart. And so we don't have to worry about their salvation. No, they don't love Jesus, they don't care about him, they don't love him, they don't trust him, they don't fear him, but they're pretty good people. They got a heart of gold. We naturally think this way, but what Jesus is saying is those people are not just in a little bit of uh, error, they're completely wrong. They're 100% wrong. They're as far away from the kingdom of God as anyone else. Because it's impossible for man to approach God. 
and to find salvation. It's impossible. So we have to keep this deep into our minds and our hearts that no one reaches up to find God. Luther says it this way. He says, you know what? You're gonna have to repent even of your good works. Even of your best works before God, you're gonna have to repent of them because they're still filled with sin. They're still not worthy. So even the good works you have are not worthy of bringing before God. He also says this, he says, good deeds appear powerful in the world's eyes, but they are most likely to be damning sins before God. That the best of what we can offer God is damning sins. That's how drastic this teaching is. Jesus says, you think you can approach me with your good works, with your sincere efforts, but this is a complete dead end. No one will be justified by works of the law, St. Paul says, and this is what Jesus is teaching us. According to man, it is impossible, but according to God, all things are possible. So who can be saved? It's the one who comes before Jesus saying, I have nothing to offer you. I thrust myself upon your grace. I'm a child, I'm dependent, I'm weak, I'm powerless. One day I'm going to be lying on a deathbed with tubes coming out of me. I need you today and every day. My efforts are not worthy. Lord Jesus Christ, cover me with your grace. Do you remember what Jesus says to Peter as he's washing his feet? Peter says, "Uh, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. It's the one who sees this. It's the one who understands that the kingdom of God comes not to those who are proficient and powerful and morally upright, but to those who are broken and repentant and needing God's grace. This is the one who receives Jesus and all of his wealth and all of his treasure. There's a, uh, a famous um, football coach, but not American football, European football, soccer. There's a famous soccer coach, his name is Jurgen Klopp, and he's one of the most winning coaches in Europe. And he, right now, he's uh, the coach for uh, the team Liverpool, which is one of, it's like, the, Liverpool's like the Yankees, right? They're one of the most successful clubs in Europe, they're in, in, in Britain, but they've won all kinds of championships. And if the world looks at Jurgen Klopp, you think, this guy kind of has everything. Like, we, we tend to idolize sport heroes, right? And this guy has won championship after championship. He's managed several teams. He's kind of got everything according to the world, right? He has one of the best. If you think people are nuts about Cornhusker football, People are nuts about European soccer in the English Premier League. And he's kind of at the top of the pyramid. But when people were asking him uh, about different things about his faith, uh, he says this, Jesus is the most important person in history. And winning isn't everything. It's not all about me. Isn't that interesting? He demonstrates that at a moment's notice... He's willing to trade everything that his hands have wrought uh, for the name of Jesus Christ. 
he sees something of greater value. This is what the teaching is, that all that we have, we must be willing to surrender to follow Jesus, to find something that's more valuable. And so the question, friends, is what about your heart? What's going on in your heart? What's calling the shots in your mind? Uh, If there's an idol, if there's anything in your heart that says, um, I would prefer this to Jesus, look what Jesus does. What would he do if he was here today, if he was in front of you? Wouldn't he take your face in his hands and look deeply into your heart and say, you lack one thing. Go and give up your money. Go and give up your pride. Go and give up your dedication even to your family. If it means you reject me for it. If you lack Jesus, you lack everything. And come and follow me. This is Jesus' continual drive into our hearts and into our lives. He will not have something else on the throne of your heart. And so he's constantly telling us to drop our idols and to follow him. To follow him to the cross where our sins are forgiven. To follow him to resurrected life where our treasure will be great in heaven. There once was a rich man, and God asked him to give up everything. And so he gave up everything. He took all of his possessions, he set them aside, and he gave them to the poor. And then God asked him to die. And he knelt down in front of God, and he prayed, and he said, God, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way for me to go this direction and not do this? I know that all things are possible for you, but not my will be done, but thy will be done. And the man continued to give of himself. And finally, he went to the cross and he gave of the blood in his veins and he gave of his very life force and he gave up his last breath. This is the man who gave it up for you. The rich man who sold all that he had so that you could be rich. You've been purchased not with gold or silver but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus sold everything so that you can have treasure in heaven. He calls us to do nothing less, to see the great value in his words. He calls you to drop everything and to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.